I will be reading from Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 33 and 41 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or needing clothes, or sick, or in prison, and did not help you? He will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning. Well, three of you said it. Good morning. Uh, my name is Paul. I'm the children's minister here. I'm not the guy that's normally up here. I'm not the guy that uh, we just voted for, uh, which is a good thing. But uh, I am ex very excited that we get to vote for Dusty today. And uh, he and I go way back, uh, he and I and Amy. And uh, Dusty was actually my youth minister when I was in high school. And uh, he, uh, he and Amy, they, it was, I knew them before they were married. I remember coming up here to this auditorium. It was very orange at that time. And uh, I remember them getting married and uh, right here in this room. And, and we've been able to serve alongside each other for 20 plus years. And so I'm, I'm pumped that we get to confirm him as the new senior minister today. Uh, I'm also excited about this Imagine Heaven series. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to read the book, I highly recommend it. Uh, the subtitle is Near-Death Experiences, God's Promises, and the Exhilarating Future that Awaits You. And so way back when, uh, when we talked about starting this series on Easter Sunday, uh, I, was, I was excited that, uh, that I got to be a part of the, of the, the preaching lineup because uh, it's, a, it's a very exciting series. If you, uh, if you happen to be here for the first time uh, during this series you're going to want to go back and listen to some of the other ones because today's is not the one to start with, but, but you're here and I'm glad you're here. Uh, Dusty has preached four other sermons uh, on the Imagine Heaven series. You can go to our website, cccfortscott.com slash messages to catch some of the other ones if you've missed any. So uh, we are excited about that. And so when I, when I heard that we were going to do this, I started thinking, man, here, here are some things I want to talk about. Man, I, I'm excited about this. First thought I had was when I was in high school, I actually did a paper on near-death experiences. So I called mom this week. Mom and dad are sitting down here. And uh, I called her. I said, any chance that uh, in the old box of Paul's high school memorabilia that you have a, a paper on near-death experiences from my English class? No, she didn't. So uh, I appreciated her look at, looking for that. I am a saver, a hoarder. I have pretty much everything from college, but I couldn't find this from from high school. And really, I was just interested to see what some 16-year-old kid would 
would, uh, would come up with about near-death experiences in his English class when he probably didn't do enough research. So, um, so I was excited about that. Also, about that same time when I was in high school, there were a couple movies that came out that uh, dealt with some of this topic, and that was the movie Ghost with Patrick Swayze and, and Demi Moore, and then also Flatliners with Kiefer Sutherland and, and a few others. Uh, recently, another Flatliners movie has come out. I've not seen that one yet, but I'm excited to go see that. Near-death experiences just kind of intrigued me, and I don't know why, but uh, uh, for some reason, that's, that's the direction I went in high school. So then my second thought, that what I'd love to share with you about uh, when I got to come up here and preach was uh, further back in my, in my childhood, when I was about six or seven, uh, I remember what my first image of heaven was. Take a look. discover a mountain of taste when you try the cool and crunchy Dairy Queen peanut buster parfait. Or try the rich and creamy smooth banana split. All royal treats are on sale now for only $1.89 each. Land of Dairy Queen, we treat you right. Probably can't get them for $1.89 anymore, but uh, anyway, that, that was my thought as a kid. I saw that commercial, and I thought, man, what, what better example of what heaven's going to be like for, for me as a seven-year-old? So I was excited about that. I thought about the chocolate fountain. I wanted to have it on stage just to uh, represent the Dairy Queen commercial. Um, now, actually, there's another reason I brought that up here, and, and that's to make sure your taste buds and your salivary glands are working in overtime while you're... Uh, listening to the sermon, so right afterwards you can go and support our youth at the CIY meal. Uh, but the second reason, seriously, is I want this to represent heaven because I have a beef with Dusty. I didn't get to talk about imagining heaven. You can see what my topic is. What about hell? So I, I, I volunteered to be a part of the sermon series, and a couple weeks later he said, oh, by the way, that week that you chose, uh, the topic happens to be hell. Thanks a lot. So, but uh, seriously, it is a very important topic, and, uh, you know, he, he gave me the opportunity to switch topics with him, and I said, no, if this is where it needs to be, it's where it needs to be. And so, very important topic that we, we have to talk about. Uh, what about hell? I want to point you to your bulletin. You'll notice that uh, most of the bottom half is blank, because I don't know what, what notes you did or didn't want to fill in necessarily. I just wanted to leave it blank so you could write what you want to write there. If you're a note taker, there are going to be a lot of scriptures that I put up on the screen, just the references that uh, we're not going to have time to read this morning. But I want you to, uh, if, if you're a note taker, write those down so you can take that home and study on your own. And so let's jump into this. Francis Chan wrote a book in 2011 called Erasing Hell. And he, he wanted to come up with this idea of, uh, or was thinking about this idea of everything that we have created hell to be. And so the subtitle of the book is What God Said About Eternity and the things that we've made up. And so he was thinking about uh, Romans chapter 9, verses 20 through 21. And he says, uh, in, in it, Paul says, uh, but, you who are a human, but, but who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? Does the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? And so Chan goes on to talk about how when we share, people, uh, share with people about Jesus, we're basically lumps of clay telling other lumps of clay what the potter is like. And so he says it's very, very, very important. We, 
We don't know what the potter's like. We don't know what he was thinking. His ways are higher than our ways. So when we share with people about the love of Jesus, we have to go to what God gave us. We can't go with our feelings and our own thoughts and our own interpretations about what we want. We've got to start with what God has given us. And it was uh, interesting that uh, as we are talking about that very subject with what Francis Chan said, it's actually what John Burke says in his book. Because this is a tool. This tool points to this, God's Word. We can never let anything else override what this Word says. And so, you know, it's very important as we're studying about these near-death experiences, like Dusty said, we lay it over the top of Scripture and determine what's, what's really lining up with Scripture and what's not. Here's what John Burke says. I believe it's essential to study Scripture more than near-death experiences. I hope that's what this book motivates you to do. So that's what we're going to continue to do this morning. If you have not read the book, I highly encourage you to uh, especially read chapter 16. That's where today's message comes from, okay? Chapter 16. I appreciate Sandy stepping up and reading from Mark, uh, Matthew chapter 25. Uh, I want to read just one verse, uh, reread that. Verse 41, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And so here are the blanks, the only two blanks on your bulletin. The first one, hell is not prepared for people. Verse 41 there says that it's prepared for the devil and his angels. We were never intended to go there. That's not why it was created. Hell is not prepared for people. And the second one, people are not prepared for hell in two ways. That's not why we were created. And number two, it's something we're never going to be ready for. The horrifying, terrifying hell that has been created for the devil and his angels. We will never be prepared for that. So that's kind of our dominant thought for for today. Uh, I wanted to start off with the story that Bert told with, uh, in his sermon series, but we're not going to have time for that today. So I, I want to point you to the emails that Dusty has been sit, sending out on Tuesdays and Fridays. If, if you receive those and you read through those, uh, we'll include the story that, that Burke uses, used in his sermon on this topic. It's a great story about how Lucifer fell from heaven and uh, how the angels, some of the angels followed him and then God created the world and it, just very imaginative the way that, uh, that Burke tells a story. And, you know, it could be spot on. It could be, you know, a little off. Who knows? But he uses these scriptures from Isaiah, Ezekiel, 2 Peter, Jude, and Revelation. So you can jot those down and look at those as you're reading through that story. We'll have that hopefully on Tuesday sent out. But if you don't get that already, I highly encourage you to uh, give us your email uh, address on, on those cards on the back of the chairs in front of you because we want to make sure we get some of these resources that we don't have time to talk about today. So let me read to you from, from Burke's book as he describes hell. And, you know, often people are asking the question, well, is there really a hell? Or why would a loving God send, send people to hell that he created and loves? Here's what he says. Hell is God giving free eternal creatures what they want, freedom from him. And all the sufferings and evils of earth are meant to warn us. God did not create hell for humans. He created hell for eternal angels who made an eternal choice to rule themselves. Hell is where they will rule. Currently, the Holy Spirit keeps our evil inclinations in check on earth through our consciences and law. 
for now, our choices are temporal. They can change with time. We get second chances, third chances, fourth chances, a hundred chances. When we finally die, our choices become eternal. Not that we have no choice in eternity, but all choices eternalized have eternal ramifications. 23% of near-death experiences are negative. The ones that have been reported, 23% of them, are hellish experiences. And the percentage could definitely be much higher because if you think about it, if you have a near-death experience and it's positive, you still might be hesitant to share because people might think you're crazy, okay? But on the, on the hellish side, if you have one of those, why in the world would you want to share that? And so the, the chances of somebody uh, sharing and reporting a near-death experience that, that, that is a hellish experience is, is probably low. So this 23% has to be pretty low. And then you add to that that when you have this kind of a hellish experience, your brain just wants to suppress this negative, the horrifying things that you witnessed in this near-death experience. So it's probably much larger than 23%, I guess, is what I'm saying there. Uh, one of the ones uh, that, that Dr. Burke or John Burke talks about is Dr. Maurice Rawlings. If you read the book, his story is in Chapter 3. Dr. Maurice Rawlings did not believe in God or the afterlife, but a 40-year-old man had a cardiac arrest and dropped dead in his office. Three nurses rushed in and began CPR. Dr. Rawlings recalls, I had to insert a pacemaker wire into the large vein. The patient began coming to, but whenever I would reach for instruments and stop the compressions of his heart, the patient would again lose consciousness, stop breathing, and die once more. Each time he regained his heartbeat, he screamed, I am in hell! He was terrified and pleaded with me to help him. I was scared to death. In fact... This episode literally scared the hell out of me. After several resuscitations, the man pleaded, Don't you understand? I'm in hell. Each time you quit, I go back to hell. Don't let me go back to hell. And you can read in chapter 3 and more about this story of Dr. Rawlings and his experience with this patient. Another one that Dusty introduced you to last week was the story of Howard Storm. And uh, Dusty showed a, an online or an onstage interview with with Mr. Storm, and there's a, a longer interview. We, we sent it out on the emails this week, and I, I encourage you to go, go and watch that. But I wanted to show you kind of the next part of the story that, that happens after, in, in the interview, that happens after what Dusty showed last week. So Howard Storm is a college professor. He's a, an atheist. He took a group of students to Paris, and his stomach ruptured while he was in Paris, and he died in the hospital there. And so uh, last week... The, the interview, if you were here, it talked about uh, just his process of that, that uh, near-death experience. And so here's what he has to say. Eventually, it's so dark, I'm aware I can't see anything anymore. It's pitch black. And I, I figure, I'm, I'm done. You know, I've had it. And so I said, I'm not going any further. And they said, oh, yes, you are. You've got further to go. And I said, I'm not going. And so they started to tug at me and push at me. And I had played football and wrestled in high school, so I knew how to play that game. You know, and, um, you know, taking hits and giving hits is, wasn't a problem. So I'm, like, trying to fend them off by punching and um, slamming them, and they're pulling and tugging at me. 
what they were doing was just playing with me, toying with me. Um, and at first it was pushing, kicking, pulling, hitting. And then that became biting and tearing with their fingernails and hands. And they were taking pieces of me. And there was a lot of laughter, a lot of very foul language. And then they became more invasive. There has never been a horror movie or a book that can begin to describe their cruelty because their cruelty was pure, purely sadistic. I know that they got nothing out of it. It was simply something to do. And I'm very aware that they were so empty, so without compassion or feeling for me, that it was just amusement for me to scream and yell and fight back. And the less that I had the strength and the ability to fight back, the less interested they were in me. Eventually, I was eviscerated. I was, um, I definitely lost one of my eyes. My ears were gone. Um, and I'm laying on the floor of that place. And I just want to say that the emotional pain of what they had done to me was worse than the physical pain. The, the physical pain was pain from head to foot, just solid, horrible acute pain on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 total, didn't begin to match what I felt on the inside was, you know, um, having been taken down to nothing. I mean, the worst things that you could possibly imagine had happened to me and more. And so he goes on to talk about how he tried to come up with prayers that he remembers in, uh, in his early years when he was going to church before he became an atheist. And so he's thinking of phrases from songs and phrases from the Gettysburg Address and any phrase that had the word of God, the, the name God in it that he could come up with. And so here's where he goes from there. And I'm starting I'm start to mutter this stuff and the people around me absolutely can't bear it. And so in language that has never been heard in this world, obscene, filthy, vulgar language, they're saying to me, the, the content of which is, there is no God, nobody can hear you, and now you are going to really be hurt. You think what you've experienced so far is something? Wait until we've got for you now, if you don't stop. Now, this made me want to pray more, because for the first time I was able to hit back at them. The prayers were like clobbering um, and I also noted that the more I muttered and tried to articulate anything that had God in it, like glory, glory, hallelujah, truth goes marching on, um, they would retreat further and further away. And I, I mean, I could, this, I could do this by hearing, not by sight. And that's how I knew they were backing off. So um, you think that this was, the, was hell? The beginning on the of the road hell? to hell, on, on the, the road path to hell. To hell. So this is this experience going down this hallway in the 
what he thought was the hallway of the hospital, but it lasted for miles and miles and miles of darkness. And this is the way the demons were treating him. And so I just want you to keep in mind that idea of the, of the, the long hallway. We're going to get back to that here in a little bit. But let's go to the Bible and see what, it, what the Bible actually says about hell. It's talked about, the topic of hell is talked about over a hundred times in the New Testament. And uh, it uses four, uh, the word hell is not actually a word in Greek. There are four other words that are used in particular to refer to what we call hell. Uh, the first Greek word is Gehenna. You may have heard of Gehenna. Gehenna was actually uh, transliterated from the Hebrew uh, for the Valley of Hinnom. And you can find out about the Valley of Hinnom in Second Chronicles uh, chapter 28, verse 3, talks about King Ahaz, and chapter 33, verse 6, talks about King Manasseh, these two kings of Judah who worshiped the Canaanite god Molech, sacrificed their children to Molech. And so, a little bit later, in, uh, we find out in 2 Kings 23, uh, King Josiah, who worshiped God, came along and destroyed those, those worship places, and basically turned Gehenna into a trash dump. And so here's what uh, one of the articles I read uh, talked about the Gehenna Valley was thus a place of burning sewage, burning flesh, garbage. Maggots and worms crawled through the waste, and the smoke smelled strong and sickening. It was a place of utter, utterly filthy, disgusting, and repulsive to the nose and eyes. Gehenna represented or presented such a vivid image that Christ used it, used it as a symbolic depiction of hell, a place of eternal torment and constant uncleanness where the fires never ceased burning and the worms never stopped crawling. And that was just south of Jerusalem. And so his hearers, as he used that word Gehenna, would have thought immediately of this trash dump when he started comparing Gehenna to hell. Let's look at Mark chapter 9, verses 43 to 48. Three times here Jesus uses the word Gehenna. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into Gehenna, where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown in Gehenna. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into Gehenna, where the worm that, worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. The second word that is used in the New Testament is the word Hades. It has a parallel word in the Old Testament called Sheol. It's a place of the dead. It's where dead souls go uh, that are kind of, it's kind of maybe a waiting room for hell, I guess you would say, the final, uh, the final hell. Uh, there's a peculiar story in Acts chapter 16 that talks about the rich man and Lazarus. And uh, you can read that story. It talks about how the rich man was sent to Hades and uh, he looked up and saw Abraham with this man named Lazarus, who had been a beggar that, that the rich man had mistreated when he was alive. And so he says this in verses 23 and 24. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the, finger, uh, the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. Another scripture is in Revelation chapter 20. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. A third word that is used is abyssos, not applesauce, 
But the word abyss comes from abyssos. And another word that I had not heard of before, and it was very interesting, and this is where the, the hallway that Howard Storm describes comes back into play. Uh, it's, it's a word spelled P-H-R-E-A-R. And if you're familiar with volcano, volcanoes, there's something called a phreatic explosion that has to do with volcanoes. And so this word fra'ar is translated as well or shaft, like a well that uh, you draw water out of, or the word shaft. And so there's a, a verse, a couple of verses in Revelation 9 that use both these words, abyss and fra'ar. It says, The fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to earth. The star was given the key to the shaft, fra'ar, of the abyss. And when he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like smoke from a gigantic furnace. The sun and sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss. English uses abyss, but it's that word there at the end is actually the word fra'ar. So you can just imagine the smoke that's billowing up out of the abyss, up the shaft, the fra'ar, and then darkening the world because of the darkening the sun and the sky. And so these are words that are used in the... In the uh, in the Greek, to describe this concept of hell. So think back to Howard Storm's story of this hallway that's miles and miles long of darkness. Sounds to me kind of like a shaft, a fra'ar, that he was experiencing this torment. Uh, there are some other phrases in the English language that are found in the New Testament. We've already talked about some of the verses we've read, the fire that is not quenched, the torment, the agony in the fire, the lake of fire. Here are a few others. You can jot down these these scriptures. Matthew 8, 12 talks about outer darkness and the weeping and gnashing of teeth. 2 Thessalonians 1, 9 talks about everlasting destruction. 1 Peter 3, 19 talks about hell being a prison. And Revelation 20, 10 talks about burning sulfur where people are tormented day and night forever. Not ready to go. Thank you very much. So the bottom line is, in hell whatever Greek word you want to use for it, the idea of hell, physical torture, perpetual sin, where the guilt and the shame never ends, and the ultimate suffering, separation from God and his love and his grace, the absence of his presence, the loneliness without God. You think of everything that goes on in this world. There's a lot that is not awesome, is not great because of sin and everything that we've, we've done in this world. But there's a lot of great you think of all that being removed, just that alone would be hell. Here's what another, another source said. While the spirits of those regenerated by God's Holy Spirit will abide forever with God in a perfected state, the opposite is true of those in hell. None of the goodness of God will exist in them. Whatever good they may have thought they presented on, uh, represented on earth will be shown for the selfish, lustful, idolatrous thing that it was. Man's ideas of goodness will be measured against the perfection of God's holiness and be found severely lacking. Those in hell have forever lost the chance to see God's face, hear his voice, experience his forgiveness, or enjoy his fellowship. To be forever separated from God is the ultimate punishment. And that's what led Jesus to say when he was hanging on the cross. For the first time ever in all of eternity... He wasn't in the presence of God the Father because he was paying for our sins. And he screams out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the kind of torment we're talking about, separation from God in hell. 
as I wind things down here, I wanted to show you a, another video from a guy named Paul Ojeda. He is now a preacher in a church in Austin, Texas, but before his near-death experience, he was living a life of cocaine addiction. And so this video picks up with him telling about the near-death experience that happened after his cocaine overdose. Shortly after that, that's when I had uh, a cocaine overdose. As I had the overdose, um, they're loading me up into the ambulance. Lillian is getting the ambulance with me. We're on our way to the hospital, and that's when they lost me. And I went from being uh, high to all of a sudden sober, and it felt like somebody grabbed me and dropped me in this outer darkness as I started racing down this pit that was blacker than black, had no end to it, I realized that I was actually headed to hell. As I was headed down to hell, the first thing I did was said, I, I thought to myself, there must be a mistake. I've never killed anybody, robbed a bank. I mean, I'm a good person. I'm not that bad. And as I'm going down, it seemed like the more that I justified myself, like there was a mistake, it went faster and faster. It was at that point that I realized there was no turning this thing around. So I cried out to the Lord and I said, God, I need you. Please, Lord, just help me. And at that moment, the spirit of the Lord comes down. I just felt like, like his see presence. No, I didn't, I didn't see anything, didn't see a face or a light or anything. But I felt the presence of God. And I knew it was God because it felt like everything just stopped right there. And as God was right next to me, he asked me a question I'll never forget as long as I live. He says, Paul, what have you done with the life that I have given to you? And so I began to think, I said, I must answer this right because if I answer it wrong, I'm going to hell forever. <laughs> so as I'm thinking, <clears throat> I knew what Adam felt like to stand before the Lord because the Bible says that when Adam sinned, he felt naked and shame. And that's exactly what I felt. Every motive, every intent, every thought, before I could even speak it or think it, God said, I see that, I see that, I see that. And so before I could answer, my whole life began, it began to flash right before me as big as the sky. At that time in my life. It was like life, a life review that you had? That's exactly what it was. At that time, I was 30 years old. And so everything I did in secret and in open, good and bad, everything was displayed right before me. The reason that I knew that it was God was because everybody in this room has a hidden secret within their heart that only they know about. And everything that was hidden was open right there before the Lord. It was probably the most shameful moment in my entire life to stand before God and to look at my life and realize that I had never, ever honored him, glorified him, acknowledged him. I was a selfish man. I was a sinful man. I lived for my own pleasures, my own lust, lustful pleasures. I, I did what I wanted to do. And it was right then and there that I realized that my trinity was me, myself, and I. That's what I had lived for my entire life. It was then that I said, I, I finally got the answer that I needed to tell the Lord. And that was, God, I deserve hell. I you am a felt, sinner. You actually felt that? I felt that. I, I believe that that was my moment of salvation, my repentance, my true repentance. I said, God, I deserve hell, and you are just and right and sit in me. But, but God, this place, people often ask me, what is the most scariest thing about hell? And I want to tell everybody that 
The scariest thing of hell is the separation of God. Because to be absent from God is to be absent from love and to be absent from light and joy and peace. And I felt a pulling away from God. And it, it feels like somebody grabs you and throws you in the, an outer space darkness. And there is a loneliness, just a, a void that can, is indescribable. And it was at that moment I told God, I said, listen, God, just send me back so that I can tell the world about your mercy, your grace, your love. I want to tell you that hell is no laughing matter. It is true. And I want to tell you that if you're a believer, and I think we should shout from the mountaintops to tell people about Jesus. If you're not a believer and you're here today, I pray that you would hear this, what I'm telling you, and take it to heart. Because it's not a place for people, as you said. It really isn't. It was at that moment that when I told the Lord, just give me one more chance, God. I wake up, I have the IVs, I look at Lillian, and I told her, I said, I found that God. So you're in the hospital now? I'm back in the hospital. I look at Lillian, I said, I found that God that you've been telling me about. And I said, and I'm not going back. And I said, if you want to go, you can go. But I'm going to serve him with all my heart. She says, Paul, I was, I was praying. And I told God, give me one more chance and we would serve you with everything we have. That's awesome. And from that day forward, we've been serving Jesus with everything that we have. So he was asked the question, what have you done with the life that I've given to you? And I think that question is how we respond to this message today. Question that we all need to ask, how or what have I done with the life that God has given to me? So that the reason that we have journeyed through this, this series is so that we could open our minds to imagining heaven maybe more than, than what we could before or the... Uh, attracting us more to heaven and away from hell. But really, we need to ask those questions. What's my response to hearing this? Number one, if you're in here and you've never put your faith in Jesus, I encourage you to come up and, and share that with us so we can talk with you about that because everybody in here, please, please hear me. Hell is not a place that you want to, to uh, play around with. We need to put our trust in Christ, confess our belief in Him, be baptized. Number two, we already are a Christian. Go tell others, man, this world needs Jesus so bad. Every one of us knows people in our family or, or our friends or maybe people we haven't met yet because we haven't been bold enough to step up and have a relationship with them and we need, maybe you're the only one that will ever share Jesus with them. And so that's, that's my challenge to you today. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. And we've got to share that message because here's the deal. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking, looking for someone to devour. That's the enemy that we're up against. But thanks be to God, Jesus has won the victory for us. So I want to go back to the last little snippet here of Paulo Hayda's story and we'll close with this. I want to add one thing and I want to say this. June the 27th of this year we buried our 20 year old daughter and I want to tell you that it's been a long time since I've thought about eternity but when Christina died it was a reminder that this life is like a vapor. We're here today and we're gone tomorrow. 
And so the time that we have is precious. We must do everything that we can to share the good news and lead people to Jesus. My daughter walks on streets of gold today, and I know that. And so today, I know that my daughter's looking from heaven. And she's saying, Daddy, tell them about this place so they don't go to the other place. I love you. God bless you. And and thank you, John. You are my friend, and I love you tremendously. Thanks, man. Thank you, Paul. So hell is not prepared for people, and people are not prepared for hell. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for your word, for your son, for the great plan of salvation that you have given us. God, I pray for every person in this room that we will take advantage of the second and third and fourth and hundredth and thousandth chance that you've given us to respond to the message of Jesus. And then we walk out these doors and go share him with the world. That's the mission that you've put us here to do. That's our job as followers of Jesus, to share the love of Jesus with other people. Help us to do that, God. Thank you for this series that opens our minds to just maybe new ways to think about what the scriptures say about heaven and how we can imagine that and how much we should long to be there. We praise you for all of this in Jesus' name.